Thank you guys for, they're going to grab my prop for me. <clears throat> I want to, um, today to talk to, to not just dads, but, but every, you all right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, every father that, or every, every guy that's here. Thank you. We give the girl the tough job in this I just, place. I just took it. It is Father's. It is Father's Day, though. All right. <laughs> all right. During first service, uh, they were putting it up here while I was praying, and it and it did not go well. So, if you want to see how that works, just uh, take a look at that. But, um, you know, I I said this in first service because. Um, because we live stream it, and, and I know that my dad would be watching it later today, um, but I, I, just, I just was able to wish my dad a, a happy Father's Day, and, and um, you know, I told him I'll call him this afternoon, and I called him yesterday, and I'll call him tomorrow, and that's just how we are, you know, that's just who we are, um, <clears throat> but I realized that not everyone else has the relationship with their dad that I do. You may not have a relationship with your dad at all. And that does not make your experience with our Heavenly Father any less. But yet, we, we get this picture of God based often on our earthly dads. And um, I want to deal with some of that perspective, some of that perception today um, and how maybe the church hasn't done its, its rightful job in communicating to, especially to men, um, what, God, what God desires of us. Um, <clears throat> Father's Day was officially, well, it was the, the first celebration of Father's Day. It goes back to 1910 in Spokane, Washington. And today... <clears throat> I want us to dig into a few different things, and one of the things I want us to, to talk about is, is not, not, okay, not really what is a father, but, but what is a good father. Um, and the definition of father, literally, it's just a man in relation to a child. You're, you are either a father or you are not. And, and we can talk about biological fathers, and, and maybe somebody is... is um, maybe someone is adopted. I know that we have adoption in our, uh, in our family. My brother Dan uh, and Kristen, his wife, adopted Morgan. And they, they talk about how she's so much like her dad, you know. And, and because she was raised by them and you pick up traits. So he is her dad. There's no question about it. <clears throat> but um, it has nothing to do with the, the name father. It doesn't have anything to do with performance. So how can a man ultimately be a good father? I was watching an interview the other day, and um, in this interview, it was a couple of people, the, the interviewer and an uh, individual, and he was asking the question, <clears throat> what, is, what is a man? What is a woman? And the person that he was interviewing could not or would not even give an answer. That's where our culture is right now. You can't even say what a man is or what a woman is. 
And if you can't say what a man is, if you can't define what a man is, how can you define what a father is? It's impossible. And so I just, I want us to be prepared as the church, as the body of Christ, that we are going to run into more and more problems in our culture, in our society, because of the unwillingness to, 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 to admit, to speak the truth, okay? And so what is a good father? That is something that, that I want us to talk about, but I realize that, that some of you do not know what it means to be a good father, but you surely know what it is to not be a good father because some of you, that was your experience. And like I said earlier, I, I, when it comes to Father's Day and Mother's Day and when it comes to certain holidays like Thanksgiving, I feel like, like I have to really be careful because I realize not everyone else's experience is what mine is. In my dad's Father's Day card, I wrote to him and I said, thank you for giving me a name that I can be proud of. And of course, people would think, oh, he's proud of his name, Taylor. And I, and I said, one of Larry's boys. That is a name that I am proud of because it's attached to my dad. And not everybody has that same blessing in their life. So let me ask this question. What would be the best Father's Day that you can imagine? If you're a dad what's, or a man, what's the best Father's Day that you could ever imagine? Maybe for you, it's cards that are filled with words of appreciation. My love language is words of affirmation, so I am all about the cards. All, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm all, because there's words, you know. John and Nancy are great card writers. And when I get a card from them, it's filled with encouragement, and it just fills my soul, okay? So when my kids give me a card, and they write in it, it means the world to me personally. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's handmade gifts, you know, by the kids. Um, Chantal, you know, she might have been working on crafts with the kids, TJ, and that's what you're going to get for Father's Day. You know, I, I'm not really sure. Maybe you already got the gifts today. Maybe there's something else, but, I, you know, I'm not really sure about it. Uh, maybe if your kids are far away, they come home for Father's Day. Maybe that's, that's a, a really special gift. Or maybe you get a phone call on Father's Day. Uh, maybe you buy yourself, uh, you know, because I don't know if anybody else in your family is going to know how to do this. Maybe you buy a new driver for your golf, your, your set of golf clubs for Father's Day. Um, maybe you uh, get a new fishing pole for Father's Day or a new tool. TJ, a new boat. You know, I, that, you know that's, did you see Chantal's head snap around when I said that? <laughs> um, but, but maybe those are the, maybe it's a special meal by your adoring wife. I'm, I'm hoping to get one of those, you know, today. I don't, I don't know what we're gonna, gonna eat. And she asked me, what do you, what do you want for, you know, to eat on Father's Day? And I'm not picky. So it, you know, it could be any number of a hundred things that I would be totally satisfied with, uh, for that meal on Father's Day. Maybe for you, it's to be out on the boat catching fish. 
Maybe it's to be playing 18 holes, you know, and driving a cart, Phil. Because let's face it, golf is just better driving a cart, isn't it? Yes. Thank you, Brianna. It is. That maybe for some people, that is your ideal Father's Day. Uh, for many, though, and I, I'm just going to be honest, okay? For many dads, I'm going to be honest. It's not, their favorite idea is not sitting in church listening to a, a stupid pastor on Father's Day. There's a particular family that had three small children, and these kids were determined to get a puppy. And mom had protested greatly because she knew that somehow or other, she was going to wind up being the one that was going to have to take care of this puppy. Well, true to form, the children solemnly promised that they would take care of this puppy. And eventually, she relented, and they brought that puppy home. The children, they decided amongst themselves to name the puppy Danny. I have a brother that was called Danny growing up, so that's really kind of funny to me, but... And the children, they cared for this puppy. I mean, they cared initially. They took really good care of it. But, you know, over time, they really began to slip. And then mom found herself being more and more responsible for taking care of the dog. Well, finally, she decided that the children were not living up to their end of the bargain. And so she began to search for a new home for Danny. When she found one, and broke the news to the children, she was extremely surprised because she got almost no reaction at all from the kids. One of them even said rather, rather matter-of-factly, we'll miss him. I'm sure we will, Mom answered, but he's too much work for one person, and since I'm the one that has to do all the work, I say that he goes. But, protested one of the kids, if he wouldn't eat so much and wouldn't be so messy, could we keep him? Mom held her ground. It's time for Danny to go to his new home. Suddenly, with one voice and with tears in their eyes, the children exclaimed, Danny, we thought you said daddy. The best Father's Day that you can imagine, Dad, is one where they say, yep, we'll keep him. <laughs> but what is the reality of your Father's Day? Maybe it's not a card. Maybe there are no gifts. Maybe there is no special meal or no phone call. If not, what would be the greatest thing that you could ever imagine? Imagine receiving a promise found in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, where God said he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Imagine receiving that kind of promise, that God would turn the hearts of your children toward you, that your heart as a father would be turned toward your children you know, from Exodus to Ephesians, we are told that as children, we are to honor our parents. I am 58 years old, and I still need to honor my dad. 
I need to honor him. Does that mean that I do absolutely everything my dad says? No, I do not. But that's not what honoring means. I honor him for his position and his influence and his input into my life. We see that God spoke to Moses in the law. We see that Jesus reiterated this. We see that the Apostle Paul spoke it. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that children are to obey their parents. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And then in 1 Timothy 3, 4, regarding elders in the church, Paul writes this, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. But if you're a dad... You know that there are days and sometimes there are kids where it does not turn out that way. No matter how hard you try, no matter how how hard you try not to embitter your children, it seems that sometimes that's all we do. There are times when it seems like we can't uh, we cannot turn their heart toward us and no matter what we do they're moving in a different direction today my prayer for you is that God will turn the hearts of your children toward you today so what's the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day there is a difference there is no doubt I didn't look up to see the difference you know, like like the top ten differences or anything like that. Um, but I did. I, I I I can just tell you flat out that Mother's Day in the church is one of the highest attended services of the year, and Father's Day comes nowhere close. You have a better uh, you have a better chance of a of a better attendance almost any day of the year, other than Father's Day. Father's Day typically is is a um, it, it's just not a highly attended service. There is a difference. A teacher asked her students this question, what's the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day? And one student answered, well, they're about the same. You just spend more money on Mother's Day. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm not, not positive about that, mainly because my wife's, my wife's love language is giving gifts, so I cannot complain about Father's Day or any other day Uh, when she's in charge of buying me gifts. But I want to talk about this this difference between the two, because, and not just about Father's Day, but the difference, okay? And the difference that the church puts on on people, what the church communicates, what what we communicate as, as followers of Christ. I remember growing up in the church, and I remember early on um, when we were taught Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. We know this as the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I grew up being taught that these are the characteristics that a believer needs to exemplify, and I agree with that. 
And then let's combine it with, being, uh, you know, as we look at Jesus' words in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where he talks about these kingdom attributes. And he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are pure in spirit. Blessed those who are peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And, and then kind of the, the creme de la creme, Matthew 5, 5, where Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Men often, we don't see these as manly ideals. We do not look at these and say, oh, that's what I'm aspiring to be right there. I want to, the New International uses the, the word gentleness. I, yeah, that's, I, I really aspire to be gentle, you know. I, it's not seen, we don't view it as a manly characteristic. In fact, we interpret these things from, from Galatians 5 and, and Matthew 5, we interpret them at, very much so as non-manly attributes. We would even interpret them as being weak in nature. In fact, the, the word meekness bothers men. They have a hard time with it. Because it feels like Jesus is saying, in order to follow me, you need to be weak. We identify the word meek with being lowly and, and sort of afraid, and it's just a sense of weakness. And so as the body of Christ, we have not done a good job of explaining and communicating to the world, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, and, and that, that definition of what that is. And I think that's amazing because Jesus is the best example of what a real man is. What does Paul say in Ephesians? That Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus sacrificed his life. He went to the cross because of his love for you and I as, as the children of God. We, and we are his bride. Jesus went to the cross, gave his life for his bride. What, a, what an incredible act of manliness. And yet we communicate often something that comes across very different. So the real definition. I believe that most men want to be strong. They do. And, and mom, if you're a mom, you, you've not helped this either, okay? Because what do you say every time you want your child to do something that they don't want to do? I don't care if it's broccoli. I don't care... Um, if it's take a nap, I don't care if it's pee on the toilet, okay? What do you do? Oh, you got to do that so you can be strong like that. Eat your vegetables and you'll be strong like daddy, you know? We've done, I, I'm, I'm guilty of stuff like that, but we build it into our kids' minds. And so as men, we get to the point where we, we, we become independent, we grow, we're, we're adult men. We want to be strong. 
We want to be strong and we also want to be courageous. I believe that men want to be men of courage. I really do. I believe that men want to be adventurers. At the heart of a man, I believe there is an adventurer in a man's heart. He wants to do things that are dangerous. Why do you think I have Bob Bowers out front and there are people throwing tomahawks? Men like to do stuff that's a little bit dangerous. And I believe ultimately that God created that, us that way. They, I believe that a man wants to be able to look at himself and be proud of who he is. He wants to be able to stand tall and feel like I, I have something to be, pr- I'm, you know, I can be proud in my life. I can be proud of myself. I believe that he wants to be a provider. He wants to be a leader. He wants to be a defender. He wants to be tenacious and never give up. Those are qualities that a man says, that's what I want to be. But the problem is we haven't made Galatians or Jesus' words in Matthew sound like any of those things. So they sound like the other end of the spectrum. You say, oh, come on. Oh, really? Think about it. What is religion? Who is religion for? Who is religion for? What do you hear people say? You've heard it a thousand times. It's for women and the weak. It's the truth. That's what people have said. And we have let that that out there, and we don't say anything to argue against it. People say that religion is a crutch. Now, first of all, I'm not promoting religion. I'm promoting a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is totally different. And Jesus isn't a crutch, he's a stretcher. Because I can't get anywhere. I cannot heal myself without him. But it does these things, these words that men want to be don't sound like Galatians or Matthew. And they, they have this impression and the church has allowed it to happen that in order to be accepted by Jesus, in order to be who God wants them to be, they've got to be weak. And that's not what God desires. There was a, a Greek historian from Athens. His name was Xenophon. He was a philosopher. But along with that, he was also the commander of a Greek mercenary force called the 10,000. And these guys were very famous warriors and soldiers. War historians have said that there is no greater genius of a warrior than Xenophon. And we still, in fact, it's public domain. You can search for it and read it yourself. Uh, we, we look at what Xenophon wrote called the art of horsemanship, thus the saddle. Thank you, Donna, for loaning me your saddle. She's not here today. She said she's going to be buried with this thing, so it's in good shape, so it, it, it looks good. Beautiful saddle. But he wrote this book, The Art of Horsemanship, in 362 B.C. Let me tell you what he wrote, he said, 
You need to go into the, the mountains and the hills and you need to capture the wildest horses that you can. You don't take the ones that gladly meet you, you know, uh, that, that when you whistle, they come. You want the wild ones. You get the most wild horses that you possibly can. And then once you capture them, you begin to, to figure out what you're going to use these horses for. And based on their intelligence, based on, on their physical attributes, uh, based on their attitudes, you figure out, are you going to use them to pull some heavy load is it going to be a plow horse? Uh, is it going to be a horse that, that you put a rider on? What is it going to be that you use this horse for? And some of the horses, very few of them, but some of them would graduate the training process and they would be used for something different. They would be used as war horses. And a Greek warrior would sit atop that horse. Now let me tell you what Xenophon, how he describes these horses. These horses, he said, would stand in the face of cannon fire. They would thunder into battle. They would stop at a whisper. They would obey even when it meant certain death. This is a picture of strength. This is a picture of courage. This is a picture of being a defender. It's a picture of being proud when you think of that war horse. It means proven under authority. It means strength under control. This animal would have to yield its will, his own will to that of the rider and respond to the slightest touch. It would have to put its wild nature under discipline. It would have to give up its wildness and its rebellion and give in to control. It once had been wild, but now it's ready to serve its master. And the most amazing thing about that description that I just read to you of a war horse was written by a Greek man. Did you know the New Testament is written in Greek? And that Greek word that that man uses for that war horse to describe it when his training is finished is the word praus, P-R-A-U-S. And guess what? It's exactly the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 5 in the fruits of the Spirit when he says that one of the fruits of the Spirit are meekness. And when Jesus said in Matthew 5, the meek shall inherit the earth, it's the exact same word. How terrible that we have allowed the definition of manhood to be something other than that picture. Dad, Grandpa, I don't care what you are. God has called you to be a war horse. Not just willy-nilly fighting and making, but, but for a purpose, for the kingdom of God to be that proud uh, courageous, defending part of the battle. God has called us to that. So let's look at these kingdom qualities for just a second. 
When I was a kid, I, I fell in love with horses at a really young age. Really young age. I, I had a Shetland pony when I was young. My dad would ride horses and we would ride together. Uh, and, and it just, it was such a, I don't know what it was, but horses to me are, it's, there's just a romantic connection. I just love horses. Leaning up against the saddle and, and I can hear it, cre- the, the, the leather, you know, make that noise. And I'm like, oh, that reminds me of being on a horse and riding. It just, it, there's just something about it. And in this country, we have a history with horses. 150 years ago, there were still 2 million wild Mustangs roaming North America at that point. And that horse is a symbol of freedom. It's not really wild, though. You see, those horses are descendants from the, the horses that the Spaniards brought in the, in the uh, 1600s. But some of those horses escaped, and some of them were just abandoned because the Spaniards had to go from one place to another, and they, they couldn't take them all with, and so they just abandoned them. And so this population of horses grew. They had been domesticated, but now they, were, they weren't being taken care of, and they, they became feral which is not really wild, but it's something similar to being wild. Those, uh, the Spanish, the word for Mustang, it means ownerless cattle. And this describes a lot of us as men. We, we want to be wild. We want to we wanna have that independence. We want to have that strength. There's that romantic connection about being, being a, your own man. And we think that that's what it's all about. But I want you to know that there's something more to it. You see, we're fighting against our would-be trainer. We are fighting against domestication. I don't want to be domesticated. I want to, we have this longing sometimes in our hearts and that literally describes us as men. We want to be proud. We want to be defenders. We want to be strong. But we're fighting against the process. We're fighting against perceived definitions. And God has created us as men to be a war horse, not to live or exist in the wild, but because a wild Mustang is constantly fighting for one thing, just to survive. And I don't think God wants you to just fight to survive. He wants so much more for you. Ephesians chapter 5, I said it before, that, that God, God said that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He sacrificed his life. And our feral nature is fighting to regain wildness. But you know what? Some interesting things about a horse that'll take a saddle and a bridle and let you ride them, we call that broke. A broke horse lives longer than a a feral horse does. A broke horse will accomplish way more than a feral horse will ever accomplish. The, 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 The greatest thing that a feral horse could ever hope to accomplish is to be involved in the breeding process and to just see more horses born. But a horse that'll take a saddle and a bridle, with that rider, a horse that will submit to that rider, 
that horse can go places that it could never imagine and do things that it could never do otherwise. It will live longer. It is stronger. It is more capable. All because it yields to the rider. It yields to the saddle. It yields to the bridle. That horse can do more. See, we incorrectly interpret the kingdom character. Oh, we've got to be poor in spirit. We've got to mourn. We've got to be merciful. We've got to be willing to be persecuted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That word means proven, excuse me, under authority. Strength under control. Wild nature under discipline. Jesus doesn't want us to be weak. He wants us to surrender our strength to him and allow him to use it and to take us places that would blow our minds, but we can't do it in a feral state where we're just surviving. He wants to show us things, take us places we could never imagine. You know... Really, the title of my message is kind of wrong. Wild horses can't be broken. Wild horses just aren't broken. You see, once a horse is broke, it's not wild anymore. It has wild features, but it's not wild anymore. And this Father's Day, Dad, maybe you've been fighting against a bridle in your life. Maybe you've been fighting against a saddle in your life. And God is looking at you and he wants to define you the same way he defines that horse with that Greek word praus. He wants to define you as a war horse. The characteristics of a war horse, to be able to thunder into battle, to be able to defend, to respond at, at the slightest touch of the Holy Spirit. That's the war horse that God is looking for, and that's what He's calling us for, and it's not weak. It is powerful, it is courageous, it is strong, it is proud to be the man that God wants him to be. I want to pray for you on this Father's Day and pray that God does some great things in your life. Let's stand, shall we? Father, I just want to thank you for the the men that are here. Thank you for the men that were in the first service this morning, for those men that were online. And I, I just pray, Father, that you would touch them today. God, forgive us as the church. When we've communicated a message of weakness when it comes to men, I pray that we would take this opportunity to communicate a message that you are calling us to be strong and to be under your control, to submit our strength to you. And God, I pray that that we will become the men that you are calling us to be, that we would be examples of that strength to our families, that we would serve our families with that strength, that we would lead our families with courage, that we would show them what it is to, to have a healthy sense of pride in who we are. 
Father, I thank you for the joy and the privilege that I have to be a dad and the joy and privilege that I have to be a son. God, I pray your blessing upon our men today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.